0: Um, but but I get used to this incredulousness that people look at me with when I tell them about some of this stuff. Because, like, my follow-up is, like, oh, man, like, if only you could have seen where I, was, where I was last summer, like, you wouldn't believe it. And I realize I've grown to kind of cherish that.
1: This is The Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I'm here with Isaac Nimitz. How you doing today, Isaac? I'm great. It's so good to be talking to you, Joey. Yeah, you too. I when I invited you to be on the episode, I didn't know, I didn't realize that I knew more about you than I did because you wrote an article called "Burn It All" in the magazine, which was great. Thank you. And Uh, now, now here you are.
0: Yeah, we're uh, we're connected in more ways than we realize, and we're we're slowly figuring it out. Hopefully. Some of it, some of it will come to light in real time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. On this episode. So (laughs) folks, if you hear something crazy happen, you're the first to know
0: this is it. We don't know. We don't know nearly enough about each other, but yeah, we're, we're two sides of the same coin. We're both living it for the story, right? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So where, where are you right now? Uh, so right now I'm actually, uh, in my dad's apartment in Brooklyn, very, very far from
1: the, the front lines of, of the seasonal world. What is your favorite uh, thing about Brooklyn? Because you grew up there, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I grew up here. Uh, yeah, first 18 years I was here, went to college and came back and found it all a little bit changed. You know, my favorite thing about Brooklyn is the live music. That is my easy go-to answer. I love, love going to see concerts here because I swear every band brings their A-game at almost every single concert venue. It doesn't matter if they're like 15 people, like 500 people. Like a band goes on stage and they're like, "This is New York City." and then the show proceeds to be amazing. Uh, it happens nine times out of ten. Yeah, like a lot of people talk about New York is full of energy. like there's a lot of young people trying to make it. There's a lot of really brilliant, really successful people, yeah, just like hustling all day every day. But that doesn't do it for me. That kind of competitive, that kind of business energy, like I don't feel that in like such a positive way, but when I go and I see like a performance like a like a musical performance or like anything kind of like art oriented and then people are bringing that same kind of energy and attitude that's like my favorite thing about new york that's inspiring to me there's 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 nowhere else in the world i'd rather catch a concert
1: what's the last great performance that you saw
0: yo i saw this band i saw this band last night no two nights ago circles around the sun shout out circles around the sun they're so good i'd never uh never heard of them before like this past week they're a group of like veteran musicians. Who have all been professionals and side projects in their own right. And they they all came together in their free time apparently and did this jam that turned into circles around the sun. Like they recorded a couple of projects, gained some traction. Now they're touring, dude. It was one of those shows where they played for like two and a half hours, but it was only like seven or eight songs. They had people moving, like dancing for, for two straight hours, which is, I mean, just a beautiful thing.
1: Was it a uh, like smaller venue?
0: Yeah, so it's at this place, uh, one of the weirdest concert venues I've ever been to, actually. It's called Brooklyn Bowl. So it's like there's a it is a smallish venue, so there are probably like 150 people there. That's I guess smallish for here. But then on the side of the stage, there's like 12 bowling lanes. So you have people bowling simultaneously while the show is going on. Um, <laughs> and I like to peek over and see like the bowling animations at curious times during the set. It's a, it's a weird energy. Cause like the, the pins never stop clanking, you know, like even mid show, like that's somebody's idea of a good time. It's like to keep, bowling. I love bowling. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to rip on bowling, but like there's a performance going on, you know, and everybody's just like, no nah, we're gonna, we're here to knock down pins Um, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's pretty
0: sweet. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's intimate for sure. Yeah. That and,
1: sounds like a very Brooklyn venue.
0: Oh, my God, It's such a stereotype. It, uh, everything here is a stereotype of itself. There's no doubt about it. It's just sometimes that works, you know, like in, if you want to buy like seven dollar cup of coffee, it doesn't work. It's not fun. It's not cute anymore. Um, <laughs> even though it's very good, you know, and somebody with gauges poured it for you. but <laughs> but yeah, this this is one of the, one of the stranger places I could ever think to listen to music.
1: <laughs> So you're just a couple of years into working seasonally. Tell me what your job and experience was like in say like the prime of your last seasonal job.
0: My last seasonal job was, I was working on a a pot farm in California. That counts as a seasonal job, I guess, because there's a time of year for that. Uh, Absolutely. So in October, last October, I was in the Santa Cruz mountains and I spent about a month on this pot farm. And it was overall a positive experience for me, for sure. But like any agricultural job, it's really demanding. You think that it'll be something more playful or like innocent because it's like, oh, we're like, you know, we're harvesting weed, like we could smoke weed. But I mean, the amount of hours that get put in, in between weed being grown in the fields and it getting processed and it being put into a store, it's, it's incredible. Incredible how much work goes into it. I don't know if this is relatable to you, but I had worked one other agricultural job before, like years ago. I had uh I went to New Zealand and I worked as a fruit picker. This was very early on in my uh seasonal life. This is like the second place I ever went to work. And oh my God, it was so hard. Just hours and hours in the field and the monotony. That's really the biggest thing. Because if you spend eight hours a day, you know, whether it's looking at buds or looking at one kind of fruit and taking it off the tree like you close your eyes and you see it it's in your dreams it's everywhere you look you start seeing patterns that look just like it uh, <laughs> and uh yeah it's wildly mind-numbing but you know like when i knew i was getting into weed i was like this is probably gonna be wildly mind-numbing just for a different reason before that what has really like been my bread and butter i guess um, was working as an ocean kayaking guide at of seward seward alaska which I did in the summer of 2019. So from May to September and in the summer, 2018 shorter period, June to August pretty much. And what was
1: your usual schedule like there? What, cause I'm, I spent a lot of time in the catch again and we've got, you know, every once in a while you'll see orcas coming up, you'll see whales. Usually it's just all bald eagles and seals, but yeah. what's kind of like the, the main thing in Seward.
0: So I actually experienced two really different summers. You were in Alaska this past summer, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, this past summer, did, did you have wildfires where you were?
1: No, actually. So we're in the Tongass rainforest and the, oh, okay. the biggest wildfire in recorded history there is uh, seven acres.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's passable. <laughs> we Definitely. You yeah. can look through that. So yeah, I, I really experienced two wildly different summers uh, in Seward. Because this past one was really uh, marred by fire, which was unfortunate. But I will say, yeah, like in the day-to-day, you know, you get up early. You got to be, you know, people come into the into the shop for early morning trips and you've got to be alert, caffeinated, and packed, you know, for the trip by the time they get in there. So it means an early wake up, but it also means an early trip down to the water, usually we get like a nice mist over the bay in the morning and it clears as the sun comes out in the afternoon and the wind kind of picks up. So on an ordinary day, you'll be like paddling on glass in the morning and you get some waves in the afternoon. That's like the idyllic because you get to experience experience all parts of it, like all the different characteristics that the ocean has to offer that you want to face, that is. Like if it was giant and stormy, we'd, we'd spend the day inside. But yeah, my very first summer, it was like I was living on the bay. So where I was, I'd basically walk out of my tent and walk down to this office porch and I could watch whales coming up. I mean, it was you know, something I'll, I'll never forget. Just seeing so many whales, seeing so many humpback whales specifically you know, come out of the water and breathe, you know, just like arch, uh, get the little crest of their back coming out. And we saw so many whales that we would stop pointing them out because every time you point out a whale, there's like a swarm of tourists, like 20 people like crowd the spot. But once you become numb to it, you know, once you've seen like your 15th whale in six days, it's like, you're just like, that's the whale right there. You just like point it out. You like whisper it to your friend, you, like look at it for a minute and you just like keep it quiet so that you can enjoy the moment in solitude. In Seward, you get so used to the beauty that you're like numb to it, which is a place I would like to operate in. I don't think it counts as being ungrateful at all. Just when you stop getting that kind of original wide-eyed enthusiasm, it's it's more like a like a tranquility. Than like being ungrateful at least that's how i think about it but this past summer was really really different uh we had wildfires on the kenai peninsula that were being blown directly into the bay so a lot of days you know you there were days where our air quality was really bad like worst in the world really bad it would be a struggle just to see like 50 feet on the water um so like you were saying there are a lot of seals and bald eagles but this past summer there were some stretches where even the most uh most ordinary commonplace animals you just wouldn't get to see. They you know they'd be there. You just you couldn't make them out and all that smoke. It was scary to see Alaska like that, I'll be honest. It was uh something I never thought I would see. You know, you never think you're gonna see a rainforest burn uh until you're there <laughs> and it's happening.
1: Did that affect the like tours? Did you have less tours or you know were there less oh, people definitely. in your tours for that?
0: Yeah, less tours and people who were pissed off at us about the fires, which was surprising. Uh, I didn't think, (laughs) just when you think tourists lack self-awareness. Yeah, it, it definitely affected them because, you know, it just sets like a certain tone first thing in the morning. Like if you see like the beautiful sun coming over the mountains or you see like the burning red smoky sun, you step outside and you like take a deep breath in and you're coughing. Like that's a, that's a very different vibe. We had a lot of people who would call us the morning of a trip and they would say, like is the trip on? like we understand it's smoky, like is it happening? and they wanted us to cancel on them, basically that's what they were getting at. They wanted us to give them a reason to go home, uh, but we often wouldn't give it to them. but yeah, I mean my, my personal favorite and least favorite question was I got asked a lot of times why nobody bothered to put the fire out um, <laughs> and it was something like hundred it was something like a hundred thousand acres burning, and so yeah, we had some people come in, you know, usually the less outdoorsy people, the less uh informed. And it's like, oh, yeah, so that smoke that's in front of your face, I'm so sorry about that. There's a giant wildfire burning. You say, really? Like, why aren't they putting that out? Like, where are the firefighters? To which I would usually just kind of, (laughs) I mean, well, I guess depending on the person, sometimes I would give them a really nice explanation and, like, humor them and be like, well, actually, like, firefighters don't have a lot of, like, funding and, like, wildlife, like, outdoor firefighters. and Just think about how hard it is to put something out in California or Oregon, like, how you got to get those people up here? I'm like, they don't live here. You know, like we don't really have fires here, but you know, honestly, and then I would probably look to my coworker and like give a little side eye and scowl. Um, <laughs> but we, we got a lot of that. And uh, yeah, it's just like people are excited for this Alaska vacation and they have all these expectations tied up in it. And, and I, I mean, some people I felt, I felt kind of bad for Cause you get older people who are, you know, starting to travel once they're retired and it's a lifelong dream to go to Alaska and they, you know, step off the plane and they can't see too far in front of them, I I have sympathy for that. Uh, That's really, really unfortunate to have that kind of lifelong dream spoiled by a tough season. But, I mean, I personally would do, I did everything I could to just live life normally. Like, there were a couple really bad days where, like, we just went on a hike anyway. even though it wasn't technically good for us because it's like, are you going to go up this mountain and see this view that you've never seen before or not? Like, even if it's 50% reduced, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. That was what I tried to, that was what I tried to sell the clients on too. I was like, you're still here. Like you're still swimming. I mean, you're still paddling in the, in the Pacific ocean in the same waters as the whales and, and all that good stuff. They're here. (laughs) They're struggling too, just like you. Like they're, they're not thrilled with it either.
1: Yeah. And you can um, embellish it later. You know, you could see the flames while the whale is breaching. <laughs> it's all part <laughs> that of it. Is,
0: yeah. You get the snow capped mountains that are simultaneously on fire. Really, uh, <laughs> really an unbelievable scene. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it was tough cause the, the big, the big moneymaker on those trips is the animals. It's, it's wild, but like how well you do depends on if they decide to show up and there are certain things you can do. Cause if you know, there's a salmon stream, You know, that, you know, porpoises like salmon. Thus, you can determine that you should go hang out where the fish are. But yeah, there were a lot of days this past summer where the the tips just weren't coming because the people weren't, they were not thrilled about it. Uh, And there was not a lot we could do. Couldn't bring them to the secret animal spot because they all moved farther out into the ocean where it was colder. I think the water temperature rose something like, like it was several degrees. The water temperature was just higher in the bay uh, where I was working. And so they all... I had to find a greener pasture, so to speak. Do
1: uh, you think the, the wildfire had an effect on like the social climate of the town as well? Dude, that's an interesting question.
0: I think I, so I had never lived anywhere, you know, and I don't know if there are like, there, there were a lot of, you know, a lot of California, a lot of West Coast people find their way up to Alaska and they're more familiar with fires than me, but I had never been anywhere with that kind of element of like looming disaster kind of quietly humming in the background like while everybody's trying to live their normal lives and I definitely think it affected us. I think we all everybody tried to put on a brave face. It was really we were all kind of in denial because and this is kind of like a broader like climate change type of issue is like we know that certain things are happening <laughs> and we know <laughs> that as things stand right now like they're happening during our lifetime and as you know but we want to keep living normal lives. So yeah, I mean like the, we we like hit this breaking point I think in July when because we had Like these clouds of smoke descend upon the town for like, I want to say like 10 days, two weeks in, in maybe like June. And then it kind of like went away for a little bit. It was like around, like we knew it was around and then it came back and everybody was like pretty disheartened by that. Yeah. Well, on a, on a fundamental level, because everybody who, almost everybody who works seasonally in Alaska, like wants to go outside on their free time. You know, they want to go mountain biking or kayaking or hiking or whatever. And if the air quality is really, really bad, you just can't do that. Um, or you can't do it as much as you would like to because you'll get you'll get sick. It was that bad. People were definitely disheartened, yeah, because there were certain things you couldn't do. But I also like think it might have at times brought us closer together because you know most of the people I work with are like younger, you know, not necessarily young, but younger, and and we have these people who uh, like tourists who who don't come in. I mean, who don't come in with like knowledge of the area, and we're like all kind of. I think I got this feeling that we were like all kind of on the front lines of like this changing climate together and that we were all like experiencing like consequences firsthand. And then these people would come into the town and they wouldn't really understand it. And that brought us closer together, like that kind of understanding and adversity. It, it's just something I'll never forget. And I think it's, it's probably like tied up in my my coworkers and friends' memories as well. At least I hope so. I don't think we'll be forgetting anytime soon. But there was definitely, yeah, I mean, shit, it's Alaska. Everybody drinks pretty hard, but I'm tempted to say people were drinking harder in the face of like these giant smoke clouds. It's like, who knows how much longer we're going to be able to keep doing this. It was really, really uh, in our faces in a way that no other environmental issue at least has ever been in my face. And I actually used the tours as an opportunity to like hound my clients. I would tell them every day, they'd be like oh man we're super disappointed that like this trip didn't turn out how we wanted and i'm like well actually what car do you drive you know like not 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 quite that judgmental but i was (laughs) like you guys you guys have an opportunity like you're seeing something that the rest of the world like knows about but doesn't internalize yet and hopefully i lit a fire under at least like a couple people to go home and you know if uh local politics are trying to like you know, either help or hurt our environmental emissions. Like I I hope that people have a sense of urgency now that they've seen the consequences of that. That was, that was what I told myself. That was how I consoled myself with the fact that it wasn't going how I wanted it to. Yeah. That, that kind of, uh, that kind of fear of things changing and of things going downhill can really, I think, you know, it probably brought us together as much as it tore us apart because it tore us apart inside a little bit.
1: I think it's a little easier, unfortunately, to imagine, like, the other tourists that go home and they're like, oh, yeah, we got preached at by our tour guide about <laughs> climate change. And the, they wouldn't put out the fire, so we had to deal with the smoke the whole time. It's like, ugh.
0: Yeah, but, uh, you know, and it's really tempting, like, in any service job, like, in gu- guiding is a service job, you know, it's, like, honestly not that different from waiting tables. It's, it's much better, but, you know, that you you have to tell yourself that, like, that's not who you're doing it for, you know? because i had a couple experiences you know few and far between it's not that it's not every day that you know somebody like comes up to you and like grabs you by the shoulder after the trip and they're like this meant something to me like that doesn't really happen that often uh but occasionally it does and and you cling you cling onto that like it it, it keeps you going you remember those people
1: yeah um, that's that's what you're doing it for those moments right there
0: yeah yeah, like uh, one woman. I mean, I, I took her out. This was during a nice day, so maybe she gets the benefit of the doubt for that reason. But uh, no, yeah, no, we had some waves. Like just a very simple, kind of ordinary problem. There was wind. There were waves. She was uh, not super comfortable being so exposed on the ocean with waves. Uh, but I, I could see her. Um, <laughs> people make a certain face when they're that tense. Like, you know, I could tell she was kind of like grinding her teeth and like was almost afraid to breathe. Like she didn't want to move too much, and like upset the kayak, you know, but I went over her and I kind of like, I stayed in her ear and I was like, no, like you are doing it. Like your boat is pointed exactly where it needs to be. That wave that's coming right behind you. Like, you're going to feel it pass under you and just go by and like, you're good. And at the end of the day, yeah, she, uh, she came up to me and she's like, you know, like, I think I might've conquered a fear today. And that was so cool. Oh my God. I've never, I've never worked another job where anybody said anything like that to me. Um, <laughs> I can't, I can't think of one. I mean, I packed takeout. Nobody ever came up to me and they're like, Oh man, we were going to start. If you didn't pack that takeout, <laughs> there's just, there's just not so much on the line. It's uh it's a privilege. I gotta say, it's crazy how much tourists make or break the experience for you, like on a day to day basis. Cause it's not, it's not what you do it for. Like, it's not, I mean, it is, like I said, like those kind of experiences stick with you. But like, for me, like, you know, I want to work outside. I want to be somewhere beautiful. I want to see things every day that like make me feel, you know, grateful to be alive and excited about like what else might be coming next.
1: What well, sounds like you found a job that suits a lot of the things that you want out of a job or you know, out of your day to day in the kayak guiding? Yeah, I mean, you know, with the exception of
0: money, that's that's pretty true. Although, although like a lot of people who, who do live the, the seasonal life, know it's like only so, much is, uh, only so much is really needed to like make, you know, really just fund your life. Like, cause you know, wherever I go in all likelihood to guide, like they'll put me up somewhere, like they'll give me a bed. They might even feed me. And so there's not like a whole lot more uh, that I really, really need. You know, I tell myself that if I need a real job, like a quote unquote real job, I'll, I'll probably go back into the world for something like akin to social work, because what I really care about is like people and how people are doing. I always get too invested in whoever's around me. That's also one of the cool things about guiding is like, yeah, you get, to, you get to kind of reach into people's lives, people who you would never meet otherwise. Similarly, not just that you meet them, because like you can meet a stranger at a bar and have a totally meaningless conversation, but there's like an element of trust that usually develops. Like, I know you joked about that person who goes home and like, oh, my God, preached at me. But personally, I remember like all the guides I've ever had. And it's it's shocking uh, how many people I would meet on a day to day basis who are like a good a good chunk of the people who are more experienced. Like, yeah, we go on vacations like, uh, I don't know, some adults, like, let's say, for example, like, yeah, we went kayaking in Norway and our guide, like he was from here and he told us about his experience in this place. And like that drove us to visit here. And you just like get to find out like what inspires people kind of keep moving around and what keeps them chugging really I've uh yeah I don't know I've got to dip into so many like alternative existences that another line of work just wouldn't give me the luxury to do that might even be kind of what's good about being a bartender too if people uh are being like totally straight with you and like telling them telling you stuff about themselves you would you would really never get to know otherwise but that's that's also one of the benefits is that you can really, some people really open up to you. It's, it's kind of shocking, but they're like, you kept me safe. Like I can tell you anything.
1: I want to tell you anything.
0: Yeah. yeah that's a,
1: that's a, that's a good way of putting it. I haven't really thought of it that way, but you get to see so many different lives or different ways of doing things and different personalities. And at the bar, yeah, you're, you're right. That's very true. You get, I had a guy come in one time off the cruise ship and he, he hung out he hung out for two drinks and you know, we just kind of got to talking. I was like, So what are you doing today? He's like, Oh, well, I'm scheduling a flight back home. I was like, Really? you're off the cruise ship? He's like, Yeah, yeah. Me and my wife are bickering the whole time. And I'm just like, ah, you know what? I'll see you when you get home. Yeah. And I was like, So you just you're just gonna leave and fly home like today. He's like, Yeah, yeah, I, I found a ticket. And I was like just imagining the cost of that. I mean, I'm sure this guy didn't give a shit about the cost, but yeah, like the, the decision, the telling, the telling her and he's like, no, it'll be fine. You know, she's having a blast. I'm not, it's cool. Yeah. It was like, what, that was just so different from any experience I've ever had. And I pride myself on, not just learning from my mistakes but learning from others mistakes and so being in that situation where you're talking to you know upwards of 50 to 100 people a day like having a full conversation with that many people in a day you find out about a lot of different ways of success and a lot of different ways of failure and it's it's definitely a treasure trove of information and yeah i think that goes for any the guides anybody that you know has those one-on-one moments where someone is willing to give you more of their mind and heart for you know longer than just a couple seconds
0: yeah 50 to 100 is a lot of people though that's like uh that's way beyond my ability to process people's stories if i have like more than six people on a trip you know and i'm leading with another guy and i'm like oh yeah i'm just i'm not gonna learn your names <laughs> that's not gonna happen um <laughs> like once yeah once the seventh name gets introduced i forget all of them
1: um, <laughs> this house of cards just comes tumbling down.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's, that's as many as I get. I think the actual number of like how many like different numbers or names you can retain is higher than that, but I guess I'm, am below. Uh, <laughs> retain, retain. so there's a, there's,
1: there's an article on the website called gift to gab that, uh, Ryan Dininger wrote. And he, he talks about this guy in St. Thomas that was a scuba guide and he would get on the boat and he when he's handing out, um, the first thing they do when they get on the boat is they get handed the life jacket and the snorkel, and or yeah, it's a, he's a snorkel guard guide, sorry. And so as he would hand it out, he would get their name, and he would just keep going over it, give them the, give them their snorkel and their, and then once he started his safety spiel, he would start using their names like throughout and he knew like there were 80 people on the boat and he knew every single one of their names after handing out their, wow, their flotation devices and their snorkels.
0: And it was that's just a like, talent.
1: It sounds like, I mean, he's, he's a savant. It sounds like yeah. a superpower. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I, I can do that with drinks. I can't do it with names.
0: <laughs> that's really, really impressive to me. That's, uh, I I'm sure, I'm sure he is going to find some position <laughs> like down the line where that is incredibly valuable, like working for some company where it's like if you just know everybody's names, they're stunned. like I don't even know that that's an amazing skill though. but to to really quickly backtrack about like dipping your toes into people's lives, I really like that person who who bought that uh, who bought that ticket home, you're probably thinking to yourself like, wow, that could not be like farther from what you know my life is like you know you like you go somewhere, you stick it out. You've got your ticket home, like, what do you just have to kill a couple of days? Like you'll make it. It's no big deal. And you meet somebody with the complete opposite point of view. I like challenging those people. That's the thing. But one of the things I think that's important about challenging people is like not being afraid of being wrong. you know? Like if I'm going to argue with you, hopefully I am open to being proven wrong. And I met this one this one uh family that was just like could not have been farther from like my kind of philosophy. And I also think from like the philosophy of probably people who read this magazine and listen to this podcast where, so it was this family from Louisiana and uh, you know, mom, dad, two kids. They were all really cool. They were nice to me. Um, but the younger son went to college. He like went to LSU or something and they had grown up like seven minutes away. So what I wanted to know from him, I was like, I was like, okay, I, I asked the hard question. I was like, did anybody push you to like go to school so close to home? Like, what was that decision like? Like how did you make that decision? And he had like the simplest answer for me. He was just like, No, like I like my life. And then his dad was like, he's got a pretty good life at home. And then he's like, Yeah, no, no, I, I like my life. I don't really want to go anywhere. And I was like, Whoa. Uh <laughs> you guys just kinda just kinda shot down this philosophy I've got going on. But they were, I mean. They're like thoughtful, kind people and they're being genuine with me, you know, like there was no, there was no BS. They weren't like putting on, we were, we were way, way past the point of them, like putting on a face to like try to impress me or something. Like they showed up late for the trip. Like the mom was freaking out. She was in a bad mood. Like they're like apologizing to me half the trip because she was like complaining about waves. And no, we were like sitting on the beach, like the sun was setting, having a heart to heart and they're genuinely like, I live 10 minutes from home and I wouldn't change a thing. And that was that was shocking to me. It stuck with me. Yeah, you know, there are really some people just living living in a way that we can internalize, but I guess not truly understand.
1: Yeah. I mean, I if if a couple things went differently, I can see that being, you know, my normal family and friends and where I'm from, like they're a blast. I had a great time with them when I lived there and when I visit. Yeah. So I could see the random Alaska thing not happening and me finding, you know, some way to be happy there i can i can see it it's i'm very far removed from it now and i that's not what i want but i can i can imagine it being a possible like branch of what could have happened
0: yeah yeah
1: i don't know I if mean, i could the, do it in, LA, in louisiana though
0: yeah that i i wasn't gonna get too far into that with them um, <laughs> i was gonna be like but i don't think your state's that cool uh no that's not my place. <laughs> i've never been there <laughs> i don't know but you know, I'm sure this is this is probably relatable to you. I think the hardest part about the moving around is the people. I mean, that's the hardest part for me. Like, I miss my friends at home when I leave and my family. Like, it sucks. I wish I could take them with me, but that is not who they are uh, deep inside. That's just not where their compass is pointing them. It's not that simple. Like, I th- I think that for a m- oh, well, you know, maybe I should take that back. I think there are two like really distinct. <laughs> two really distinct camps. I'm not trying to just draw black and white. I'm sure there's a lot of gray, but it's like, there are people who go seasonally who like really miss home like that, uh, who have that support network. And there are people who are traveling to find that support network or to find something which gives them that support network, just like, you know, in their hearts. And I'm definitely one of the people who, yeah, the, the missing people from home is really, really real for me. Uh, it's, it's a powerful motivator. It, um, has made me cut trips short before, you know, I'm like, Oh crap. It's been like, it's like, either I'm going to see that person for the first time in a year or like a second year is going to go by, you know? And like, that really, that really means a lot to me. I'm curious though. Did you, yeah. Did you find early on, like in your first travel that you were like finding it easy to let go of people, uh, to let go of like what was going on back home? Was it kind of like a learned skill for you?
1: So yeah, what you're saying is a, a great way of putting it. I think, I think I'm kind of in both camps. I definitely miss people back home. And in my mind, there are phantom versions of them that like show up every once in a while. Like I'll, I'll be doing something and I'm like, Oh dude, Caleb would have a blast doing this or (laughs) actually just yesterday I was, um, I was out, just, you know, looking at the views in Colorado and hanging out and doing stuff. And I was like, man, I can't wait till like my grandparents come visit me here. They're going to love this and like just seeing all this. And so a lot of my amazement and awe and like great experiences are sort of not only through me, but through like the idea that someone could be there that I know would enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, I think maybe like, I don't have an addictive personality, but if I was addicted to something, it would probably be like making connections with people and meeting new people with different personalities Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And so, yeah, when I first got out there and I started meeting these people that I had never encountered before, like they were totally like some of their personality traits, I, I couldn't even imagine. And I started meeting them and realizing that like a whole person could be made out of these personality traits that i had no clue even were possible and seeing that person interact with me and other people in their day to day was just like oh my god this is so cool and so i think doing that and maybe that's why i jump into situations without kind of vetting it or knowing anyone cuz i know if i jump in the deep because i i went to alaska i only knew a couple people i went to um New Zealand I only knew one person I was with a friend yeah. when we went I went to St. Thomas I didn't know anybody I didn't look up anything before I went and now coming to Colorado I know a handful of people but you know it's the, the culture and so much so much going on here that I have no clue about but I love finding that all those new experiences and new things and not only finding them but then like Nuzzling up and becoming part of their atmosphere as well. So I think I think for me it's it's both. Like I I covet the times that, that I go home and get to spend with family and friends. And but on the other side, I don't get homesick really because I well I've, I've been I got homesick once. It was in St Thomas. It was on New Year's Eve, and I had just finished work. I was hanging out with a bunch of friends at right outside the restaurant wall like stuff was happening. And I was like, man, I realized there was a feeling that I hadn't had before and it was weird and it didn't feel good. And I kept thinking about like home and I was talking to my, my buddy Shep on the phone and just kind of telling him about it and how I was feeling and what I, you know, I think I'm homesick. I think that's what it is. And then um, this is, it's really weird, but the song that makes me think of Christmas the most, no, that's right. It wasn't new year's. It was, it was Christmas. It was around Christmas. Yeah. The song that makes me think of Christmas the most is Wanna Be a Baller by Lil Troy. <laughs> ridiculous rap song. And so our restaurant was like fine dining. You know, it always played nice music or um, sometimes like electro swing as as wild as it got. And all of a sudden that song came on over the speakers. It was the restaurant was closed, so it was probably one of the cooks or something that put it on. But that, that song yeah. came on while I was talking to Shep about being homesick and it was about oh Christmas. My God. And I was like, I just, I snapped out of it. I was like, you know, I just felt completely comfortable. The That feeling left. And I felt, I felt kind of, I felt really good about where I was knowing that, you yeah. know, I would, I'd be home when I needed to be. And so that was the yeah. one time I felt homesick. So yeah, I think, I think it's a little both for me. I, I love what comes with traveling and experiencing the new things. And then on the other side, you know, I do miss and like to think about, Oh, what if this person was here with me? You know, they'd think it was great. And I've been lucky that a lot of the people that I, I think about like that have come with me, you know, Shep and Caleb have come up to Alaska. My grandparents went to Columbia with me and my dad's come up to Alaska. And so I get to, I get to kind of see that sometimes, but
0: yeah, but you, I mean, you adapt, you get better at it. Um, Absolutely. And I'm sure that with a personality like yours, you know, like, you thrive, it sounds like, in that kind of new environment uh, because that's like one of the things that drives you. But I've been I've been wondering this myself recently. Do you think like, so at a certain point, like you get better at it, right? Like you get used to showing up somewhere, having kind of like a crash course in what other people's lives are like and a crash course and, you know, all these personalities, I have to coexist with them. But do you think that, like as the novelty wears off of those, because like once you've done it, You can only be a stranger in a strange land like so many times before you're like, no, I have, it's with somewhere else, but I did do this before. Um, Do you think that, like, as the novelty wears off, like the intimacy in those relationships wears off too? Because I I had been suffering from at least some seasonal fatigue, uh, which I've seen, I think, on the website before, something about that. Maybe I'm mistaken, but just like the idea that, like, you keep going, you keep going, and it gets hard, like, you get tired. Like, it gets harder to approach every situation as your new self and i'm wondering cuz you've been doing this longer than me or you know you've just been you've been in the working world longer than me if you find that yeah like it gets it gets like your relationships are less intimate because you're so used to meeting more and more new people who have different ways of life
1: yeah i th- that's that's definitely something that i think that happens to a certain point and i think everyone's on a spectrum of how often or how soon that happens for them. So, you know, mm-hmm. some people never experience that. Some people just next spot, next spot, new person, new person, they love it. And some people get, get that really quickly and it is all in the middle. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think this is way more complex than just seasonal fatigue or, you know, even a bubble extended from that. I think the idea that, that I, I heard the quote, don't bring, ruins to ruins. Like if you're a person that is hurting or has some trauma that you haven't gotten through, you'll find that a lot in the seasonal and the traveling culture because they think, Oh, the next spot's going to fix me the next spot, the next spot. And so they'll bring ruins to ruins. And it's, I think there's some of that that goes on that then hopefully you realize that's not what's going on. You need to settle down and figure it out, figure out what that Mm -hmm. trauma is or what you're going through. And, but also there's the idea that as you, as you touched on, you'll, you'll keep traveling along and meeting all these people. And then you'll start to realize that, you know, even though the location changes and the names change, there are a lot of similarities and a lot of parallels and you're, you're going through situations and yeah, you're getting better at them, but they're still the same situations. And so you can almost see a similarity between somebody that stayed home and didn't travel or do any seasonal work or anything like that and you and you're chasing different things but you're also experiencing similarities and i think that is a point where maybe it can wear off as well that like mm-hmm. almost honeymoon or like you know that draw for you mm-hmm. but at a certain point i th- i think this is my experience you'll when you go through that You'll think to yourself, you're like, okay, this is a negative feeling about something that I really enjoy or is something that I've kind of wanted to be my like driving force. So where is that coming from? And if you, I'm sure it's different for everyone, but I think for me, it was, I am, I'm moving around, I'm traveling, I'm meeting a ton of new people. What's the point? Like what, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a ton out of it, but what am I building? I I want to be yeah. building something. I want to be reaching goals. And it came down to, you know, when I thought about it, and this is probably, there were probably a couple of years that I kind of went through. Not It wasn't a bad time. It was just mentally a little bit of malaise because I wasn't exactly sure what all, what everything meant when I combined everything into a life, what did it mean? And now I'm sure I'm not finished with that lesson yet, but, and now what it kind of is, is there is a life out there that I know I've seen, but I haven't experienced for myself and I am building and putting together the framework of it. And I haven't reached it yet, but it's out there. And that's why I'm not. I'm not compromising in ways that I think some people uh, advise me to. That's why I'm not doing things that would be way more comfortable for me or way easier for me. Cause I know, you know, if I pull that stop now, I'm not going to get to that point that I know exists and, and I, and that I know I'm going to get to that's, that's another big thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, you go through that, you go through that point either sooner or later, depending on who you are where you're like, you know, is this the right way of doing it? I mean, I enjoy a lot of it, but there's some of it that just doesn't seem like it's uh, as great as I thought in the beginning. But I think if you keep digging, if you just keep digging and following and just making the right choices every day, you'll, you'll find, you'll find the path, even though it may get, may get trickier, may get overgrown for a little bit, you'll find it. I did and definitely talking to other people, th- talking to people that are smarter and wiser than me helped me mm-hmm. with that as well. And I, I think that ha- they help ha- help in any situation, but that definitely helped in this one particularly.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm at, I'm at the age. Thanks for sharing that with me, by the way. That was really interesting. I'm I'm, I'm at this age where, I mean, I'm 24. And so, yeah, I mean, my friends are, I think I feel comfortable saying grasping at straws. Like, a couple people have conviction like the people who are in specific kinds of higher education. Like if you're 24, like you're already like pre-med or something. Like if you're in medical school, like that's a path, but you're one of very few people who are on this, uh, kind of carefully charted path. But yeah, that was what it was feeling like for me was like, this is kind of a series of like episodic, uh, unrelated shenanigans that might not be building towards any one thing in particular. And that was really, that was, leaving me with that fatigue however now I'm like home and you know some of the some of the like avenues that are being presented to me seem you know even a lot less substantial than those like shenanigans you know like even when like when I'm somewhere new and learning something I I never really thought about it like that like it's it's part of a framework of something that's going to exist later because like even if I go somewhere and I don't you know, walk away with like a good friend who I keep in touch with and I don't have like the best time. And maybe I'm like, Oh no, like I picked the wrong place. Like I picked the wrong time of year. Like that was the wrong job, like, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like that's still like the framework of like a future me who knows better, um, which is a really interesting way of, of thinking about it kind of lends meaning to even kind of some of the more, uh, like when you're when you're really experiencing something new, like you're opening yourself up to that growth as opposed to like if you were just like, you know, laying down bricks and like building a career like just for the sake of it. Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I'm supposed to be, you know, rising in like my field, like in my company, in my whatever. But no, like every new, yeah, every every new place can really uh add a brick to that foundation. I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, you want to build a big old network of awesome people that uh, yeah. Can- enjoy life with
0: and uh that's where i get all my seasonal ideas now it's like now that i've done like two or three i can just ask people i uh can be like hey like what's around which is an amazing tool like just this coming summer i was offered like two or three different positions not like offered but you know friends are like hey man you want to you want to be a raft guide in maine like there's this nice river and i'm like oh no thank you (laughs) like what a what a wonderful (laughs) uh it's like hey there's this uh you know this company operates out of the yukon they do a couple different trips i'm like "Ah, i think i'll save that for summer 2021 actually thank you um it's just like it's it's uh it's really an incredible world of uh of people with those connections
1: let me let me ask you this why why would you take the job in maine it's a good question there are a
0: couple different answers I mean, so one of the, we talked about this real briefly, but one of the reasons I'm home is because I did hurt myself in a basketball game. Um, that's, a, that's significant. Um, so like when I was in Alaska last summer, um, I couldn't really hike, which sucked. I love to hike as someone who's in this world. I like being active if I can pull it off. But yeah, it was like, basically I got to hike like two or three times all summer. And then like the whole week afterwards, I'd have to stay off my feet and like ice my knee all the time because of this basketball injury. And so until that really gets better, I can't live the life that I want to live, you know? Because, you know, I could go back to Alaska, but if I can't hike, that's like this huge, and that, that applies to any outdoor place. It's like there's this huge component that's just missing, like this activity that I love and that will bring me like great peace and happiness and, and exercise and all this good stuff. Like I can't do it, so I can't, I can't live the experience to its fullest, I'm limited. But I think there's a more, there's like maybe a slightly more interesting and like philosophic reason, which is that I don't know why, but I have the idea that I can do better. And I don't know where that comes from because it it has to do with the exoticness of the location. Like I've been spoiled so far. Like I lived on this farm in the middle of absolute nowhere in Puerto Rico, uh, where I could, you know, not hear another human and see the sun coming off the ocean every morning. And I worked in Alaska where, you know, I could. I could roll out of bed, you know, a bald eagle would fly over my head and then walk down to the water and watch a whale come up, like just incredible, incredible stuff. And so I have this idea that like the bar is really, really high for like wherever I go. So I'm like, you know, I don't know, the next place, like it's got to be like another continent or like another island or like somewhere dramatic, like somewhere that people pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to escape to because that's like what I'm accustomed to, because that's like the kind of ridiculousness I've done already. Um, and to go somewhere that's just like three or four States away is so pedestrian by those standards. But I think that that's a kind of a ridiculous train of thought because who's to say that I won't like, you know, meet the adventure friends, you know, that, uh, I was meant to meet in Maine or have the kind of character building guiding experience that, you know, is irreplaceable. I-, I just don't know because so many of these things happened in in the least
1: predictable way possible.
0: I don't know. I'm I'm assuming I know something that I that I realize now I don't is what I'm I'm getting at.
1: I I asked because I I didn't expect you to give the answer that was has been my answer to that question. Because there's late you know I've done the same summer place for seven or eight years and I'm always like, well, that's just the first place I went. Like there's all these other awesome places out there too why why do I think they're because when when I look at cool works at their jobs like some of them look awesome but I'm just like oh no I can you know like you said I there's this weird thought in my head that I'm like oh no there's something way better that I'm gonna do and it's like why do I why is that like the first thought in my mind why isn't it that you know the one time I tried something that I didn't even know anything about, it turned into this whole new life. Why wouldn't I just think that that could happen again in this other place, you know?
0: Right. And that's, I'm, I'm, um, I guess I'm kind of surprised that you have that answer too, but I could kind of think of a couple, uh, I could think of a reason. Like, honestly, I mean, some of it is like hubris. It really is. Cause it's like, when you just think about Absolutely. like what you have what you have done already you're like okay i no i went from 0 to 100 so i have to go from 1 to 2 like i know like i can do that and that's 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 irrational that's like uh that's flying too close to the sun right there but also i mean shit man i mean the majesty of a place like alaska like when you know you could go back there uh, that said i'm like <laughs> no i feel like i'm singling out maine right now Maine respect. I've heard such great things as I understand right. it has the best sea kayaking in the world. I don't know why I'm doing this.
1: Um, I've only heard beautiful, great things about Maine. So I don't know, right. but I have that same thought about it that you do. And I don't I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. I
0: also think that this is a presumption. Okay. I get used to when I tell people like a story about like what I've been doing or like where I've been, I have gotten used to and started to enjoy their surprise. Here's one particular example. Like my mom visited me in Alaska and I had it, in my thought, I had it pretty good this last summer. Like I, like my, I was in this like bunkhouse, you know, with other dudes and I was a top bed. It was cool. But I, I had, but there was a heater and like my first summer I was in a tent that like didn't even close, you know? Uh, and like the bugs were coming in all the time and it was freezing and it was wet and my stuff had mold all over it. And So I was at this place and they had like a heater and I was like, damn, that's fancy. And my mom shows up there and there's an outdoor shower and she's like, I can't believe that you, like you, Isaac Nemitz, city boy, use this outdoor shower. Like you must be so <laughs> cold when you take, when you come out of the shower at night. And I'm like, no, like that's like, I don't, it's nice. Like I like it, Um, but you, but I get used to, this incredulousness that people look at me with when I tell them about some of this stuff. Cause like my follow-up is like, oh man, like if only you could have seen where I was, where I was last summer, like you wouldn't believe it. And I realize I've grown to kind of cherish that. A lot of the times, those kind of really radical experiences make it hard for people to understand me because I'll like, you know, be talking about, you know, living in the middle of nowhere and it's like, okay, if something went wrong, like, you know, it would have taken like an hour for us to just get back to civilization. And, you know, people don't totally understand it. And like their eyes start to wander and they, they start to get kind of distracted and want to talk about something else. Maybe it makes them uncomfortable, but I really enjoy it. It's, it's oddly, and this is a me problem. It's a way that I like have started. I'm, I'm realizing subconsciously to like measure myself against myself. Uh, is like what kind of reaction can you elicit in your loved ones <laughs> it's like if they're absolutely stunned then i'm sticking to the formula that's been working so far whereas if it's more like mundane then suddenly i'm like i'm i'm deviating from that path in a way that is is slightly more like internally complex than just like alaska's great i want it to be great that great again you know no, I've really like grown accustomed to like the way people treat me. And it's like, I'm sticking to this recipe that I've created for myself.
1: Let me, let me see if this can kind of put that in a, in a category. So when I, I wrote an article about Ketchikan that talked about like a seasonal rubric, like why you would choose to go somewhere. And when I was getting ready to write it, I sent a message to a ton of like seasonals that I know that have done a lot of different seasonal jobs and it was what are the top five things that you think about or that you put on your pros and cons uh when you choose where to go for a season or what to do for a season and one of them i was really surprised about was my friend chloe put it put it the best is like braggability like when you when you go somewhere how exactly what you're saying like how crazy is it how How awesome is the like the idea people have of that place in their mind and you're going to go there like that's a huge draw that actually was in the top five of the answers I think it was like three or four basically like how amazing is the place like how much how much street cred am I going to get if I tell people I live there for you know some portion of my life. And yeah. yeah, what I realized, like, i had never thought about it that way, but that is absolutely something. And it may be the biggest thing for me that I think about when I'm like, okay, where am I going to go next? That was definitely mm. something in my mind when I picked the Virgin Islands, when I picked New Zealand, when I picked yeah. Alaska, that's like, that is a huge part of it. And I think that's, is definitely the reason that you, you're not going to take that job in Maine is definitely a big <laughs> part of it. Yeah. Unfortunately for Maine and you yeah. know, the people that you would work for, but, or with but it's something that comes in, but you get to that point, especially if you kicked it off with Alaska, like, yeah, where the fuck are you going to go, dude? Where are you going to go? That's, uh, you know, is you, I mean, in my mind, it's like, okay, Antarctica, Japan, yep. and I don't know, something totally crazy, like Kazakhstan or something are like all that's left after that. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> Mid the moon, the moon's up there.
0: Yeah. Alaska's got that allure. I mean, it's, uh, it's its own uh, trope at this point of like, you know, the end of the road. There are only a few of them left, but also just to, to reframe that a little bit, I, I think another way of looking at it is like when I think about who inspired me and why it has a lot to do with that bragability. But, but in that kind of context, I don't know if it's like bragability, it's kind of just like this wow factor. Like, so for me, uh like growing up in Brooklyn like nobody not nobody wanted to take me outside that would be like a disservice to my mom to say that like they tried to take us to some places we just weren't feeling it but I'd never been camping or anything like that like my family never took me camping um and I have this cousin my cousin Josh like inspired me to do things that I had never even conceived of doing before like he was he was uh years ahead of me and he was like ahead of the ahead of the curve in that, like everybody was, you know, trying to get into grad school after college, or like trying to work for some legitimate company, or like move to the city, or get married. But he was like, "No, nah, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want to do." And it kind of made him a bit of a black sheep uh, in our family for a little bit. Um, but for example, like I think one of his first ones was he went to like New Mexico and he apprenticed a snake tamer. And you, you obviously have to have him on your pockets.
1: Um, <laughs> cause I'm uh, yeah, I'm up, I'm down to have him on the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm him, out yeah. on the snake tamer situation. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a
0: good story. I'm not I'm not try- I'm not going to steal his story right now because he's got some really good ones, and I I, I have borrowed them before. But I'm going to use that as like a little teaser. But basically, he told us this crazy story about being a, a snake taming apprentice, and like you know, there being imminent danger on his very first day in the most unexpected way possible. And just like what that story did to my brain is what I want my stories to do to other people's brains. It's almost like a carrying of the torch. And but but here's the other thing. I feel like there's a non-zero chance. I'm just saying that right now because I don't want to feel like an asshole for saying that like I do want to brag about my life experiences. Maybe I'm just, I'm just covering up for myself by saying that like, no, there's like this inspiration factor. But really, like what this guy's stories did for me and what some of mine I feel like have done for other people in the past. Like I've got one friend who's, you know, way out there and asking me for travel advice now in a way that a couple years ago, like there's just no way. Like it never would have happened. Or it was hard to see at least. And I think that it's just like carrying on this torch in the spirit of adventure. Like just straight up as corny as that sounds. Like I yeah, it's just it's just harder to imagine going somewhere closer to your current reality bringing those kind of stories, like, because <laughs> the, the farther you go, the more different it is just straight up. Like, you know, everything, uh, the culture, like the way that people developed the land, the way the people in the land interacted with each other for hundreds or thousands of years, like the farther you go, the more different it's going to be and the more outrageous your experience is going to be. I don't think, uh, I don't think you can correct for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it almost, it has that addictive part too, that oh, yeah. you you can't settle anymore. <laughs> and that's that's why, you know, like you said, that's three states away. What am I gonna do yeah. with that? You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's not I good mean, enough
1: for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like moder- it's like a it's a conservative choice at this point, which is not what's
1: been working so far. Right. And we're trying to get crazy. We're trying to really yeah. uh stick our necks out there and do some crazy stuff.
0: Yeah. It's um yeah, and I really feel it when I'm here. Like people ask me, um, they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, well, not really anything right now. Uh, <laughs> but before, <laughs> um, I was, you know, leading trips on the ocean in Alaska and they just fucking look at me in this way that I am addicted to. You're Absolutely right. It's one of my, it's become one of my number, it's become one of my top social commodities is that the people are just like, you got stories, man. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. I gotta keep, a." Uh, uh-huh. I gotta keep finding them.
1: So let let me ask you this: How long is the is the recovery ETA on the old injury? There, yo, that's that's a tough one. Um, so,
0: let's give you so okay. So I hurt myself at the very end of 2018, and I planned this trip for all of 2019. So before I went down, I was like, I'm gonna travel the entire duration of 2019. It's gonna be my year, like my first year out of college. I'm gonna spend all my money, uh, and I'm gonna go for it. Um, and then I got hurt and I said, you know, fuck it. I'm still going to go for it. Like if I'm hurt, if I'm not like, I'm going to push it until I can't push it anymore. And then if I have to, I'll go home. So what I'm getting at is that I hobbled around on one leg for like 14 months. Um, oh, God. yeah, yeah. Only to cut to come home and then have them be like, yeah, this is going to take kind of a while. Um, uh, <laughs> like you got to fucked up. You jacked um, this
1: up way bad. <laughs>
0: yeah, they're like, this didn't have to be this bad. You did this. This summer I'm looking at uh getting away for a couple months because I have an opportunity to and I don't think it'll be crazy. And I and I need I need some like uh my soul is gonna require some nourishment in a couple months in the form of leaving this city. I, I honestly I hope to be better like by the fall. That that's realistically what, what I'm what I'm thinking about. Uh, it's going to take a while, but like this summer, like I've got a, a buddy in Hawaii and he's invited me down there and there's some work that like I can do and get some good experience. And like so many people, I have always wanted to learn how to surf. Uh, so if you offer me you know, a chance to live in Hawaii, I got to think about that. If I can make that happen. Um, who's who's lifelong dream is not to learn how to surf in Hawaii. I, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I think that comes okay. standard with every bucket list.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's being presented to me. You know, like someone's dangling it in front of me, and they're like, "You know, you want it." And I'm like, "Yeah, no, I definitely do." And I'm like, "But my knee's not better." And they're like, "But you know, you want it."
1: And I'm like, oh, there it is. It's uh, the taking.
0: I'm gonna do it. Um, <laughs> I don't care what happens.
1: Uh I'll Surf one-legged,
0: <laughs> dude. Whatever I gotta do. Yeah, I mean, I I told myself though that this summer like would not be an Alaska summer. It would have to be next summer. Uh, Just because the turnaround is just too quick. Like I drove up there last year, you know, so I had to leave in like mid to late April. And that's like already around the corner. So I just, I had to unfortunately take a summer off Alaska and off the big summer excursion. Yeah, I don't know. Definitely eyeing the fall. And uh, I mean, look, man, if 2021, if I'm still hobbling in 2021 and this rehab isn't working, I'm going to say screw it and do it again. Um, (laughs) Because apparently I haven't learned anything. No, Just I mean, it's, the thing it's, it's off. worth it. It's worth it. Like I'll find, you know, find some other way to exist.
1: So let's say fall comes around. Let's say like late fall. Let's give it that. It comes around, sure. knees healed up 90%. Mm. What, what's the next year, two years, three years look like? What's, what's you know, the I've, big thing? Pl- I've heard you plug in CoolWorks. And we love CoolWorks. We what an amazing Coolworks invention.
0: I know. I tell That's people right. about it all the time. Bill Berg's um,
1: genius. He invented it. Kelsey and Matt run it now. They're great. Shout out! I didn't, I
0: didn't know who to credit,
1: but yeah, I mean, really, really awesome.
0: That's that's always on the that's always on the agenda. Also, at this point, like I was saying, that I get recommendations from people, um, and now I'm starting to see like an overlap between some of those recommendations and what's being offered on Coolworks. I'm like, oh shit! Like this world is so small. One of my pipe dreams is to be an ocean kayak guide in Milford, New Zealand. Uh, there is apparently a Seward to Milford pipeline. So the town that I was in, I heard this past summer that one of the guides was guiding over the summer, was like leaving to go straight to New Zealand to continue guiding. And I was like, that is my goal. Because, uh, you know, it's one of those cool countries which has those easy work visas. And I visited there in 2017, but I didn't get to see as much as I wanted to. And I had to cut my trip short. So I said to myself, like, I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna get a work visa. And then I started guiding and it occurred to me that I could get my work visa and not work some shitty job, but be an ocean kayak guide and then get to tour a little bit afterwards. And and that would be, I mean, that would be a dream. I've got some friends in Australia right now who are living a really weird seasonal life. Uh, I don't know if I would want to do it, but I definitely would want to check it out and like see what's going on. Uh, I have some friends who are working uh, on a melon farm in Darwin, Australia, I'm like living on a commune, and so, like just getting down there you know for six to eight months like to that chunk of the world, I feel like would be really rewarding, and I'd really like to do it slightly more long term with the guiding i really i don't know, I want to dabble in number one parts of America that I have not really gotten to experience, so like I live, you know, I worked on this pot farm in California, but I was only on the West coast for like, you know, six to eight weeks, not nearly enough. Uh, there are parts of the Southwest that I would, you know, be curious to really spend some time in. ditto the South. And so I would like to see some of those parts of America and also try other kinds. This is the second thing, try other kinds of guide work. So like, I've been an ocean kayak guide, got like my certification for outdoor medicine. Like, let me find someone who will let me raft guide, who will teach me, you know, the ways of white water. Uh, Let me find someone, you know, who will uh, give me an opportunity to be a backpacking guide, maybe, you know, so I can like explore these kind of different avenues of outdoor adventure. Because like, again, I was I didn't even realize how starved I was for the outdoors until I got older. And now I'm just like, I need to see what sides of this are available to me and like what I really like the most, because I know I love ocean kayaking, but I don't know that I love it the most because I haven't done these other things hopefully it'll give me some sort of clarity as to like what kind of place I'm like trying to like carve out for myself in life. You know, if it turns out that I'm just much better on land than in the water, like maybe that'll determine like where I end up trying to live down the road, you know, like where there's like the best hiking, where there's the best backpacking as opposed to, you know, something that maybe I'm I'm not as good at or I don't really enjoy as much. I, I still
1: don't totally know. Let me, let me ask you this. And actually I, this is a question I've been asking a lot lately on the episode, yeah. but it's, it's my favorite question What's, what's a lesson you learned growing up in Brooklyn that you use now or has helped you in your later life? Hmm.
0: That's a good question. Well, I can give you one that didn't help. No, this is just a little jokey intro, Uh, (laughs) but like, we don't, we don't talk to strangers here (laughs) Um, and like you go anywhere in the outdoors or like the American West and people are just so friendly. I have to unlearn that every single time I leave New York. It's just like, no, don't scowl at every single person you see. You know. I don't think everybody's this way but uh well definitely one of the big reasons i'm interested in people is like my my upbringing here it's just like meeting so many different like ethnicities and cultures of people where i grew up on this street in brooklyn like once like literally one street over uh was when i at the time of my like childhood was the most diverse like concentration of uh ethnicities in like the world so like this like eight square block area had something like I don't know like 70 countries represented or something crazy. Yeah, I mean it just kind of taught me that like everybody was coming from somewhere different, like radically different. And that they just needed like a little bit of my patience and understanding uh to cut through all of that bullshit. Like that's something that I think really helps me like in my in my travel life and with the work with guiding is like I know. Yeah, I know just everybody is uh has a really, really different background and I, I try to listen before I talk kind of thing. Just to, you know, give give them a chance to tell me about themselves before I assume. Yeah, I, I think that it's not a place New York is not a place without prejudice, obviously. And like, you know, some of my it's my privilege talking here to be able to say stuff like that. But just there's so many types of people that like I have like gotten the privilege to talk to and understand. And it makes the world feel really small. And that's uh, it's a great feeling.
1: So, from growing up in Brooklyn, what finally brought you into the traveling or the seasonal work or, you know, getting out there and sort of getting hooked or getting the bug for this sort of thing?
0: I was uh, dating this girl.
1: That's the reason.
0: That's where it all started. Um, there's always
1: a girl involved.
0: There's always a girl involved. Some sort of hopeless love interest. I was my city bound self before she took me on my first camping trip like in college uh it was actually a rather fraught situation basically like you know problems started to crop up like later in college about like wait why the fuck are we doing this and how is this actually going to translate to the working world and like we're spending all this money et etc cetera, etc cetera. and she kind of like broke with it and she was like i'm leaving uh i'm leaving school i'm going to puerto rico uh you can come with me uh but then you have to leave because i have to do some traveling by myself too and i was like oh oh shit uh i did not want to do it i didn't want to do it at all honestly i thought that like she was running from the problem or whatever the problem was and that like it wouldn't be the solution but you know through a weird weird turn of events she uh this was i was woofing we we found this place through woof and So she went down to Puerto Rico like a week ahead of me and she went to this farm, you know, and I don't know if you've ever used woof, but it's very hit or miss, like a lot of these services. And so this place in the middle of like El Yunque rainforest was, I think she was like, she was like scared. It sounded like it was kind of dangerous. Like the host was like unstable and had like an abusive uh, former significant other in the picture. And like the work was crazy and the hours were crazy and the living accommodations were filthy. And so before I even got down there, like this plan of ours was done. It was was gone. Uh, She had to leave. And I found this other totally random farm. It was literally like I placed a bunch of calls, a bunch of emails. I said, who will get back to me? Uh, And this guy, this one guy got back to me. You know, he had like a a one sentence bio on his workaway page. And it was like all lowercase, (laughs) you know, it was like the least professional thing (laughs) I could have ever imagined. And then I start talking to this guy on the phone. He like calls me like the day before I'm supposed to fly down there. And, we agree- and he's this really cool dude. Uh, and we agreed that I would go to his farm. And uh, I got down there and, and me and my now ex-girlfriend went to this farm for five weeks. And it changed, I mean, everything. I was so scared when I got there. Like I was so urban. It's wild. You know, we get there and uh, I'm like going into the bathroom. I'm like, oh yeah, am like, go take a shit. Like, I got to use this bathroom. And they're like, wait, 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 we don't have enough water for that. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, why is there a toilet? And they're like, you know, like in case, like for when the boss's girlfriend is here. Like, that's what the toilet's for. Like, don't use the toilet. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. And they give me like a shovel and I go outside at night. And so there's this bird in the trees in this part of Puerto Rico. I swear to God, it sounds exactly like a monkey shrieking every time it chirps. And so I'm like, it's dark, (laughs) heft shit. I dig this hole and this monkey sounding bird is like right above me, like screaming its head off. And I'm like, I can't make myself boop like every single time. It's just not, I'm so scared. (laughs) I'm I'm so frightened. (laughs) And I'm like, fuck, like I definitely shouldn't be here. Like I don't belong here. Like I have nothing to contribute. That was another major thing is like, I show up there and people are like, yo, like I help with building, like I help with trail cutting, like I help with like like gardening. And I'm like, I don't do anything, like I don't know anything. Like I don't know how to help these people. I wanna be a waste of food, a waste of space. And like, you know, it, it obviously was more gradual than this, but by the end of my time there, I was like, I never want to leave. It was just so magical. Just and and yeah, by the end, the thing that I hated so much at the very beginning, which was living outside like, if I had to put my finger on one thing that I hated, I'm like, everything is outside, we're living outside, it's like we're sleeping outside, you know. At the end, I was like, yo, we're living outside, like, this is all I want to do. Once that happened, and I got and then I came back to school like the following semester, I was like, this does not work anymore. I mean, I stayed and graduated, my family would have killed me, but. Like that, um, that was the leap right there. That was, uh, definitely when everything, when everything changed. And now I'm like the kind of person who comes back and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm whining about how, how industrial everything is and how we're so disconnected from the land. But, you know, I can remember being in this like same apartment that I'm standing in right now, like three, four years ago, totally different person taking comfort in like the insulation of the modern world. And now it freaks me out. That's a big journey. Yeah, I, I did want to share that one with you for sure.
1: That's a good one. Well, Isaac, it's been great having you on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun talking back and forth and even getting asked questions myself. That was fun. Thank you for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I appreciate your time, Joey.
1: That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky, the theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Shappy, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the Seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out.